0: Amen. What a great song. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Thanks for being here for this 1045 worship experience. I want to say hello and give a greeting to all you folks who are joining us online. We're so glad to have you uh, with us today, wherever you might be. Uh, This is the second week, as uh, Johnette mentioned, of our special uh, series called What If, the 2016 version of What If, because we actually did a similar thing back in 2013. And we're going to continue this weekend by asking the question, what if I took control of my thoughts? So I think this is going to be a powerful and a relevant message uh, for everyone today, and I hope, it, uh, I hope that you'll feel the same way. Uh, I, you notice I didn't welcome our folks across the street at the video venue. This is a little bit of a different weekend for us here at Mount Pleasant. My son Andrew preached the Saturday night service last night because… Um, I was on my way home from the annual men's golf trip that we have here at Mount Pleasant. It was in Crossville, Tennessee. And honestly, I didn't want to go, but this was a particularly unsavory group of guys that went this year, and they needed a lot of spiritual counsel (laughs) and guidance. And so Andrew preached last night. I'm preaching in the worship center this morning at 9 and 10 45, and he's actually preaching across the street live at 1045 at the video venue. So a little bit of a different service. And it's different in this sense as well. I would say about 99% of the time, maybe even 99.9% of the time when we come to church on the weekend, I'd say, let's grab our Bibles and turn to, and we go to a specific passage of Scripture, and we spend all of our time there. We just work through that passage of Scripture. Whether we're in a book study or we're just uh, doing some other kind of a series, it's always based on a specific text of Scripture. We're not going to do that. This weekend, because we're talking, we're asking the question, what if I took control of my thoughts? And there's so many different verses that we're going to look at today uh, that are relevant to that. Uh, that we're not going to just confine ourselves to one specific passage. But I'll I'll make you this promise. When it's all said and done, I promise you, you're going to go home feeling like you studied the Bible today. But just get ready uh, to just write down a bunch of verses because we're not really going to have the time to turn and look at each one of them. Uh, We're just going to have to kind of go like this. So just get ready to take notes and... you can reference those along the way. I do, however, have one single foundational verse for the study, and we're going to conclude with that verse today. And so, instead of saying, turn your Bible to such and such place, and let's stand for the reading of God's Word, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I want to ask you to stand with me right where you are, and we're going to read this verse together, okay? Uh, I'm not going to read it uh, by myself. I want to hear your voices. But this is a great verse, and it needs to be read with a little bit Of rhythm, don't get ahead of me, then that will throw me off and the message will be really bad the whole rest of the way. So follow along. Here we go. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. All right, there it is. May God add His blessing to the reading and the hearing of His Word. Think, Paul said, think about such things. Years ago, I remember reading the following quote by a man named Norman Vincent Vincent Peale. He said, change your thoughts, and you'll change the world. Now, some might hear that and give a little bit of a pushback and say, that's too simple, Pastor. It doesn't work that way. You can't change your life or your world just by changing the way you think. And if that's your response, then my response is, obviously, you've never tried You've never tried to change your thoughts because there's nothing easy about that at all. And the truth is, developing a new way of thinking might be the hardest work that you will ever involve yourself in. That's why Henry Ford once said, thinking is the hardest work there is, which is probably the reason why so few engage in it. And actually, the problem in the world today with many of us is not that people don't think. The problem is we spend way too much time engaged in the wrong kind of thinking. And changing that isn't easy because it's unlike any other discipline that you try to master. Let's say that you decide tomorrow that you want to get in better physical shape, and so you're going to embrace the discipline of working out every day, whether that means going into a gym, or maybe you've got a designated room in your house, or you've got a basement that's set up for that. You're going to develop the discipline of working out every day to get in better physical shape. Well, if that's the case, then you're going to do that once a day, at least if you're a normal person. You're going to do that once a day. It's a -a once-a-day activity, and once you've worked out, You're done for the day, but that's not the way it is with trying to discipline ourselves with regard to our thinking and the way we think. It's not a one-and-done process throughout the course of the day. It's an all-day, every-day, 24-hour-a-day process. It's something you've got to work on every waking moment of your life, and it's hard work changing the way you think. Getting control of your thoughts is really hard work. A number of studies have been done over the years to try to determine how many thoughts people like you and me have each and every day. And experts disagree, but it's probably somewhere around 50,000 thoughts a day. 50,000 thoughts a day. And even if that's on the low end, and I say that because some people think it's much higher. Some people think it's as high as 70 or 75,000 thoughts a day. But even if, even if that's on the low end, 50,000 thoughts a day is still a massive number of thoughts to deal with every day of your life. And then you add to that the fact that there are studies that say 90% of our thoughts are repetitive and negative in nature. In other words, we tend to rehash the same old junky, crummy thoughts day after day after day. When you think about all that together, you put all that together, then you can see why the Bible is filled with so many verses that talk about the power and the importance of our thinking. Here's one from Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Write that reference down in your notes and then look up here at the screen. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. He said you can be transformed by The renewing of your mind. A little bit later in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23, Paul says that we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. He writes and says, be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now, I didn't put this down on the PowerPoint, but I was thinking about this verse last night when I was coming home from Tennessee, and I was thinking about that phrase. This is the way it reads in my New International Version Bible that I've got open this morning. It Paul talks about the attitude of your minds, and and more than anything, that phrase reflects the truth that when you became a Christian, God gave you a new or a renewed mind. I hope that all of us understand that. You know, when you became a Christian, there are three fundamental things that happened right off the bat. Your sins were forgiven, uh, you were given the promise of eternal life, and the Holy Spirit began to live inside of you. Those are fundamental things, but beyond that, so much, so much… And one of the things is he gave you a new or a renewed mind. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that the moment you became a Christian, you know, you got rid of, you just all of a sudden magically all the old crummy thoughts of your life went away. They're still there. What it means is he gave you a new capacity for the way that you think, a new capacity for the way that you use your mind. And so our responsibilities Uh, responsibility rather as believers is to take advantage of that capacity by now filling our renewed, our new and renewed mind with new and renewed thoughts. And so that's why Paul says we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. And so what those verses, and that's just two, Romans 12, 2 and Ephesians 4, 23, what those two verses are saying is that if you change your thoughts, then you can experience a personal transformation in your life. Let me put it like this. If you change your thoughts, you can change your world. You really can. It, 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 sounds, it might sound too easy, but it's not. There's nothing easy about it, and it's something that all of us need to embrace. See, here's one of the many problems we run into, and this is what makes changing our thoughts or getting control of our thoughts so difficult. One of the many problems we run into is we're prone... We're, we're naturally prone to negative thinking, and I'm not saying that just because I think that's true. I'm not saying that because of any other reason than the fact that it's an undeniable reality of what it's like to live in a sinful, fallen world and to have a sinful, fallen nature. And another way to talk about that sinful, fallen nature is to have a bent or a propensity towards sin. We all do. We all do. It's undeniable in all of us. That's a spiritual truth. We live in a sinful, fallen world. We have a sinful, fallen nature. And that's a truth that is so real and so evident in the world that even unbelievers recognize it. Even unbelieving scientists recognize that. I read when I was putting this message together that neuropsychologist Rick Hansen, who is the founder of the Wellspring Institute, says that we are wired from the start with a negative bias. That's what science has discovered. I'd hate to imagine how much money science spent on coming to that conclusion, because we could tell somebody that just by opening up our Bibles. This is the reality of living in a sinful fallen world and having a sinful fallen nature. But he says our minds naturally focus on the bad and discard the good. In fact, he goes on to describe it like this. He describes the brain as Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive experiences. So the negative experiences stick like Velcro and the positive experiences can bounce off of you just like Teflon. But here's the deal. We don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way. And we shouldn't live that way because that's not good for any of us. You know what? If you, if you were to get sick, and I hope and pray that that would never happen, but let's just say that if you were get, to get sick, and maybe you even got diagnosed with some kind of a cancer, you would go to the doctor, and you would, your doctor would prescribe for you a treatment plan, and at some point your doctor would say to you that it's critical, it's absolutely critical imperative, and imperative that as you go through this treatment plan that you stay positive because clinical studies have shown that people who have a positive attitude and approach towards their treatment have a better outcome for the most part, while people who have a negative attitude toward their treatment often experience a negative outcome. This is the reality of life. We need to think positive thoughts, but it doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't come naturally to us because just like we're prone to sin, we're prone to negative thinking. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever noticed how so many people seem to just naturally gravitate to the worst possible things? Let's say that, you know, there's a, you know, you you, you hear something negative about somebody, and for the most part, we tend to believe it because we're drawn to the negative. I I can… I could, if I had the time, I could tell you horror stories over the last 36 years of being in full-time ministry where I had to go around to people in my church and say, okay, it's not true. It's not true. You know, I, I told a story in the, in the 9 o'clock service about years ago we were doing a, a capital stewardship campaign. We were raising money. For a specific project and you know we're really challenging people to give generously, and, and so somehow this rumor got started going through the church that that I was going around, and the leaders of the church are going around to like the older people in the church and asking them if they would would change their will and sign their assets over to the church if something happened to them and i 'm telling you, folks, I have absolutely no idea where that came from because nothing could be further from the truth I'd never have ever done anything like that and I remember going to a meeting with some people so I could say that and I went with one of our elders a wonderful guy a godly man named Bill Cragen and and he was so good he just sat there he was calm and just really he, he knew the truth and he wasn't bothered by it and I was like this the whole time and talk about that said that's not true never said that and and I wanted to say why why would you ever even for a moment believe something like that was true well I don't ask those questions anymore because that's just the way we are we gravitate toward the negative. There's a part of us, and it's a part of our sinful fallen nature. It's a part of living in a sinful fallen world. We just seem to tend to believe the absolute worst sometimes. We're in a we're in an election season. We're gonna we're gonna elect the new president here in just a matter of weeks, right? Well, so, and so we're right on the cusp of all of this political advertising, all these commercials and all this advertising. Let me just ask you a question. Do you think the majority of it's going to be positive or negative? It's going to be negative. You know why? Because people respond more to the negative. That's the way we're wired. And it's not sociologic. It's not scientific. It's not physiologic. You know what it is? We live in a sinful, fallen world, and we have a sinful, fallen Nature, which is to say, we have a bent or a propensity or a leaning toward sin. And we just need to understand that. And so, since that's the case, we've got to just be so careful about what we think about and taking control of our thoughts. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard once said, Our life always expresses the result of our dominant thoughts. So, it's easy for us to live out our lives with a natural inclination towards the negative, but that's not what we need to do. We need to take control of our thoughts, and we need to set the bar higher for each one of us. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Colossians 3, 2. Write that reference down. Colossians 3, 2. He said, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Albert Einstein once wrote, The world we have created is a product of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. So... Here's the deal this morning. Whether you struggle with this a lot, and let's be honest, I know there are people here who struggle with it a lot, and maybe you just struggle with it a little, but no matter where you are, this is relevant for all of us. And what I want to do is I want to spend the next few minutes just giving you three really simple, three really basic strategies for taking control of your thoughts. I'm trying to make these as practical as possible because I want the message to be that way. Right down next to number one, this first thing. You want to take control of your thoughts, then be careful with thought-provoking influences. Be careful with thought-provoking influences. You ever had the experience of hearing something or reading something or seeing something? And it made you stop and think, and you might even have made a mental uh, note that I, I, I need to take some time to think through that. I'm not sure I understand it, That's a, but it's intriguing to me, it's fascinating to me, so I need to take the time to think through it. It was a thought-provoking experience. Well, the truth is, everything you hear, everything you read, everything you watch, everything you experience is in some way thought-provoking. The only question is, are the thoughts positive or are they negative? What kind of thoughts do they provoke? I'm sure you're familiar with the old saying, it's been around for a long, long time, with regard to computers that goes like this, garbage in, garbage out garbage in, garbage out. Or in other words, whatever you put in, whatever you program into the computer is exactly what you're going to get out. You can't hope for anything different. It's the same way with the mind, the computer mind. Whatever you put in your mind is going to come out. Whatever you put in your mind is ultimately going to be what shapes your life. That's why… In the Old Testament book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, let's think about that verse for a moment. The proverb writer says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Or in other words, everything, when it means wellspring of life, means everything flows from the heart. But here's the thing, and we've talked about this before, I'm sure you remember, that when you read the word heart in the Bible, it's a reference not to the emotions, but to the what? To the mind. The word heart in the Bible is a reference to the mind, to the thought process, uh, not the emotions. In ancient days, they used different parts of the body to describe their emotional feelings. The heart was always a reference to the mind. And so, Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, is telling us that everything in our lives is shaped by our thoughts. Now, here's what that means on a practical level. That means the And I want you to write this down. In fact, you don't take another note today. I want you to write this note down. That means that the battle for every quality God wants reflected in your life begins with your mind. Write that down. The battle for every single quality that God wants reflected in our lives begins in the mind. That's how important and how powerful and how significant This is. Let me give you just an an example, and then we'll keep moving. Look at these words on the screen from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Read them with me. Let me hear your voices. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. All right, here's the deal. There's no question that the will of God, the desire of God for all of us, for all of us, is that we live holy lives. The word holy means separate, set apart. That's what He wants for us. It's, and this is just one of the many. Everyone say many. Many. This is just one of the many references in the Bible that talks about God's desire for us to live holy lives. Well, I want you to understand this. The battle for holiness begins in the mind, because the battle for every quality God wants to see in our lives begins in the mind. Now, let me show you how I know, absolutely know that's true with regard to this. That was 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, where God God speaks through Peter and says that He wants us to be holy. Let's back it up, and let's read verses 13 to 14 that lead into that passage. This is what those two verses say. Therefore, here it is, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And then he goes on to say, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So when Peter, writing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says God wants you to be holy, how does he begin? He begins by saying, prepare your, say it with me, mind for action. The battle for every quality that God wants to see manifest and characteristic in your life, the battle begins in the mind, in the heart, which in the Bible is a reference to the mind. The battle begins in the mind. And it's not just, this is just one example. This is just one example. That's why, and that's why Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. I'm going to put a verse up on the screen from Hebrews chapter 2, the very first verse of Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, and this is how it reads in my NIV Bible. We must pay, caref- we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Now, that's my NIV Bible. Some versions, some translations, verse 1 of Hebrews 2 begins with the word, therefore. Now, well, the significance of that is, if you're Hebrews 2.1 to what was just written in Hebrews chapter 1. Now, in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, what the writer does, is he begins by saying, in, 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 in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets, through many prophets, in many different ways, in many different ways, various ways. He spoke through many people in the past in many different ways. That's how the book begins. But then he goes on to say, today, He has spoken to us finally and fully through Jesus. And Jesus is better than all the others. Okay? Now, I know that's just that's a really brief summary, but that's what Hebrews chapter 1 basically says. And so we get to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, and we read that verse. And basically, what the Hebrew writer is telling us so be careful to remember, be careful, pay close attention to everything that you've heard about Jesus so you don't drift away. Now, listen. What did I tell you earlier? The battle for every quality God wants to see in our lives begins in the mind. The battle for holiness begins in the mind. What Hebrews is telling us is the battle for faithfulness begins in the mind. You see what I'm saying? The battle for every quality God wants to see manifest in our lives begins in the mind. So, we need to be very careful with thought-provoking influences, don't we? And, and we, we, can't just, we can't just brush that off, folks. Mom and dad with kids at home, you can't just brush that off. You can't. You can't. You can't just think, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's okay. They go to church. They go to Bible club. They're in FCA. You know, there's, I mean, and all those things are awesome. Those are great. But you can't just say, you know, some, some other influence is going to counter that. You can't. You've got to take responsibility. We have to be careful of thought-provoking influences because the battle For everything God wants to see done in our lives, manifest in our lives, for the will of God in our lives begins in the mind. Here's the second strategy. Write this down. We need to post some mental off-limits signs. We need to post some mental off-limits signs. You know what off-limits means, don't you? Everybody know what off-limits means? means off-limits, right? Don't park there. Right? There's a parking space right out in that parking lot that has my name on it. Do not park there. I don't really care so much on Sundays. I just don't like anybody parking there during the week because it's close to the door. But don't park there. Don't put me in a position to have to write you a hateful note. Don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. It would depend on what kind of mood I was in. Anyway... So we know what that means. We know what off-limits are. Well, there, for some of us, many of us, and, and we, this is a moment we've got to be fearlessly honest with ourselves because we know our own issues. We've got to know that there are certain, certain kinds of thoughts that we just need to post some off limit signs where we just say, no matter what, I'm not going to go there. Now, what would be a good example of that? Well, look at these words on the screen from Jesus. This is a Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 28. and 28. Jesus was given a kind of a new teaching. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the heart always a reference to in the Bible? The mind. The mind. So, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, Jesus said, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I could give you lots of, I think I could come up with lots of different reasons, or at least multiple reasons why Jesus gave this teaching. But let me give you one that's real practical in the context of what we're talking about. Jesus is saying, don't let your eyes provide a sinful opportunity for your mind. Don't let your mind take you somewhere that God does not want you to go. And sometimes you can keep that from happening by simply diverting your eyes so that you don't give certain kinds of thoughts the opportunity to get into your mind. It's another way of saying that sometimes we just need to post some mental off-limits signs. So, I mean, let's just be real and honest. If you're somebody who struggles with lust, which is just a reality of living in a sinful fallen world and having a sinful fallen nature… And you got to be really careful, and you got to post some off-limit signs so that you don't look at things, you don't allow yourself to be influenced things by things that could take you somewhere that God doesn't want you to go. But it's not just lust. I mean, we had time. I could give you lots of practical things. I'm going to put a passage on the screen from Psalm 73, verses 2 and 3. Write that reference down in your notes. The psalmist writes and says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, there are probably some of us in here who just naturally we're able to live pretty content lives. We can look around at our life and where we live and the home that we have and the car that we drive and and just the physical realities of our life and we can be thankful and content. But there are some people who have a real hard time with being content, right? If you're somebody who has a real hard time with being content, then you need to post some mental off-limits signs when it comes to people who have more than you. Don't watch HGTV anymore. Just don't do it. Don't do it, okay? Because you're going to turn off the television. You're going around, to look around you and say, I live in a dump. Just don't do it. Don't do it, okay? You, see, you, you follow me? I mean, it it, it applies to so many different areas of your life. Look at these words from Jesus, again, back in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 25. Write that reference down. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Now, i got to believe this hits a lot of us right in between the eyes, this whole idea of Jesus saying, don't worry about the physical things in your life, Okay? So you got to post some mental off-limit signs when it comes to worry. And you you just got to know that God is going to provide. He's always been faithful to provide in the past. He's going to provide in the future. Now, I'm going to… I could list more, but I'm going to stop right there because I can already… I can read some of your minds. And I know that you're already thinking, well, okay, Pastor, I agree with you. I don't disagree with you because everything you say is always right. I agree with you. <laughs> but here's my pushback. I can't control my I can't control what goes on in my mind. Thoughts just pop into my head all the time. Now that's the true for me. Is that true for you? I mean regardless of you know what our life is like a moment thoughts just pop into our head all the time. So what's the response? Well, I I read this quote, and it was attributed to Martin Luther, who was the great reformer, uh, the Protestant reformer, the founder of the Reformation movement. And I don't know if it, I can't find any historical evidence that it was actually him who said it, but it's good whoever said it. He said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest. And so in other words, what he's saying, you, you might have thoughts that pop into your head all the time, but you don't have to dwell on them. You don't have to let them take control over the moment. You don't. You've got to find a way to delete them. You've got to find a way to make no room or no provision for those thoughts in your mind. You say, well, that sounds good, Pastor. How do I do it? Right down next to number three. This is the third and final thing I'm going to give you as far as a strategy goes. You need to make a to think list. Make a to think list. Now, everybody knows what a to-do list is, right? And probably most of us here on some level make a to-do list. We might write something down on paper. We might do it on a computer program. We might do it on our smartphone. But we make a to-do list so that we can spend our time efficiently. We can get all the things done that we need to get done in our lives so that we can take control of our time. Well, you know, the, the idea of a to-think list is very similar And I didn't come up with the idea, the Apostle Paul came up with the idea, and we saw it when we began the message in those words from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. In fact, I'm going to put them back up on the screen. And because they're so important, while you're sitting there, we're going to read them again. Let me hear your voices. Let's do it in nice rhythm again, because we just want to make sure that these impact our hearts. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I could spend a lot of time going word by word through that verse and telling you what those words mean in the original language, and it would probably be a very enriching study, but I don't think we need to because I think they're obvious True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. These are the kinds of things that need to be on our to-think list. So how do you do that? Well, let me give you the Sunday school answer first, okay? But it's a good answer. The Sunday school answer is we just make sure that we, we fill our minds so full of the truth of God's Word that we're able to think about it all throughout the day. And especially in certain areas where we might be anxious. You know, I'm, I, I have that problem of anxiety, and I, I worry about anything and everything sometimes. So for me, a two-think list would be whenever… You know, the bird of anxiety begins to fly over my head. I immediately stop, and I think something like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, Thy comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever now you can't say that over and over again and still be anxious you just can't do it Paul's words in Philippians 4 don't be anxious about anything but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord but it doesn't just have to be verses of scripture folks you can take time to just think about the goodness of God. You can put on your to-do list the goodness of God. You can, you can, for example, okay, let me just give you an example. I'll give you some homework, and you don't have to ever tell me whether you did it or not. But let's just say tomorrow as you begin your day. You're going to begin your day tomorrow doing whatever you do. Maybe you get up and you work out. Maybe your day is all about getting your kids to school. Maybe it's all about trying to get to work on time. Whatever it is, as you begin your day, then you decide tomorrow when you get up that here's going to be your to-think list today. You're going to think about this one verse. Write down 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Write that down in your reference. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. That's going to be your to-think list today. And that says, in my NIV Bible, that says, cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. But just think of it like this. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. And so your to think list is all day long, I'm going to think about how incredible it is that God loves me so much that he says, I don't want you to carry your anxieties, your worries, your burdens, your fears alone. I want you to bring them to me. We're in this together. And that's what you think about all day long. Whenever you have those moments and your mind starts to wander, that's what you think about all day long. Now, that's the classic example, but it can be even more than that, okay? Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you're just not in a place where that's what you want to think about tomorrow. Well, listen, when you wake up tomorrow and you start your day, then do this, okay? Um, if you're married, then all day long you say, I'm going to think about all the different reasons why I love my husband. I'm going to think about all the different reasons why I love my wife. I'm going to think about all the different reasons why I'm thankful for my children. If you're not married, maybe you you say I'm going to think about, I'm going to spend the day thinking all the different reasons why I'm thankful for my family, why I love my family, all the different reasons why I'm thankful for my friends, why I love my friends. Or maybe you think, I'm going to think all day long about why I can trust God to bring the right person into my life at the right time. And that's what you're going to think about. Maybe you say, I'm going to think today about, all, I'm going to think today, I'm going to spend my time when I have Time to think that I'm going to think about the, the, the most precious experiences I've had with my family, vacations, special events, uh, special moments in our life. I'm just going to think about and remember all the details of those special, those joyful occasions. Now, I, I hope you don't think that that sounds unspiritual, because I'll tell you that I really believe that those kinds of thoughts definitely fit into the category of what Paul called excellent or praiseworthy. I I think I have an excellent wife, and I think I should praise God every day that we've been married for almost 35 years. You know what I mean? Excellent or praiseworthy. Now, let me ask you this question. What would happen if you took control of your thoughts like that? What would happen in your life starting tomorrow if you began to be so proactive that you did not allow any room for the wrong kind of thinking you had a predetermined to think list you posted some mental off limit signs what would what would happen in your life well it would take you away from your natural inclination toward the negative it would it would, it would move you toward being more thankful and more grateful every day. And even in the moments when things in your life didn't turn out the way that you hoped, it would still help you to be focused on the blessing of God. It would change your life, and it could end up changing your world. It's a challenge that all of us needs to accept. Brian, you need to come and we'll close. It's a challenge that all of us need to accept, and, but not just for a morning, not just for an afternoon, not just for a day. We've got to make a long-term commitment to this. Henry David Thoreau once said this, and I think this is so powerful for all of us. He says, as a single footstep will not make a path on the earth, so a single, a single thought will not make a pathway in the mind. To make a deep physical path, we walk again and again. To make a deep mental path, we must think over and over the kind of thoughts we wish to dominate our lives. That's like Paul saying, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what we got to do. So, be careful of those thought-provoking influences. Post some mental off limit signs. Create a to-think list. Get rid of the negative, the, get rid of the dangerous, get rid of the sinful, get rid of those thoughts that hold you captive and destroy your life. Replace them with the things that honor God. Remember, every single thing that God wants to see in your life begins as a battle in the mind. All right?